This is part two in the four-part podcast series I call The Great Tribulation and the End of Time. Part two will be a dramatic picture of the Great Tribulation. Let's start with the remnant during the Great Tribulation. I have suggested that those described as worthy of commendation and having no rebuke, which we saw in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, are prophetic of a righteous remnant that God will select shortly before or possibly at the beginning of what we know as the Great Tribulation. They will apparently be in spiritual bodies because Revelation gives us a vision of people, not angels, who are with God in heaven. Before we continue, you must remember that Revelation is written in an ancient apocalyptic style of literature that attempts to penetrate and convey spiritual matters with highly symbolic language. What we are about to read cannot be viewed as a literal narrative. Instead, we must be looking for figurative meaning. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, we see a scene in heaven. Twenty-four elders are clothed with white garments that represent righteousness, which is why they can come into the presence of the Heavenly Father. They are sitting on thrones. So what do the thrones signify? To answer this question, I am drawn to prophetic words spoken by the prophet Isaiah that portray a future kingdom of peace ruled by the Messiah, which we call the Millennial Kingdom. Isaiah declares, You will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. That's Isaiah 61, verse 6. Therefore, I suggest that the thrones are prophetic of reigning with Christ as faithful priests during the Millennial Kingdom. These elders, who are clothed in white and sitting on thrones, are wearing crowns. And here we must stop to consider the two Hebrew words that mean a crown because much of Revelation draws from the Hebrew Scriptures. One is the crown worn by a king, Netzer. And the other is a victory wreath worn by a winner of a race or contest, Atara. Given the emphasis on overcomers in Revelation, the elders are apparently wearing victory wreaths because God has selected them as worthy to serve with the Messiah in the Great Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom. Then we learn that these 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him. Remember, this is apocalyptic language. There are numerous suggestions from Christian theologians of what these 24 elders represent, theories which unfortunately, tend to be shaped by Christian theology. I have concluded that these elders stand for the 24 orders of priests who served in the temple in Jerusalem, and they represent the ones out of Israel whom God will select to participate in the remnant. But what about Gentile believers in Christ? (laughs) Before I continue, let me reinforce again that apocalyptic literature does not necessarily record events in sequence and often mentions places that are not always of this world. What is important is the message that the figurative language conveys. 
So it is the message that we must work to perceive. With that said, we will move forward to Revelation chapter 7, but I think we can align the information in chapter 7 with the people in the presence of God that we just encountered in chapter 4. We now learn that there are people who have been sealed. So what does it mean to be sealed? We must return to the Hebrew scriptures to answer this question, and we will find it in the ancient culture of Israel. A seal was an engraved instrument that had a raised marking on it. When the raised carving on a ring, for example, was dipped in ink and pressed on a document, the design created a stamp or mark that signified the authority of the sender. In the Bible, we have a picture of a signet ring that had a raised symbol to identify the authority of the ring. The ring. We learned that the pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. This scene is prophetic. The Pharaoh represents God, who is giving his power and authority to Joseph. Joseph is a prophetic picture of the Messiah. So Joseph could act as if he was the Pharaoh because he had the Pharaoh's signet ring that made the sign of the Pharaoh. So what is the message? Yeshua can act as if he is God just like Joseph could act as if he was the Pharaoh. But the most important message is that the righteous remnant can act as if they are their Lord Yeshua. That is, they can speak as if he was speaking and act as if he was acting. This describes God's remnant. Signs in the Bible could also be metaphorically marked on people. Talking about a deep love for another person, we read in the Song of Solomon, Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Now we can look at seals in Revelation. An angel cries to the forces of evil, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, but don't worry. Terrible things won't happen until the remnant is ready. And then the quotation continues about this harm to the earth. Until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That's Revelation 7.3. I suggest that these bondservants who have been sealed with a mark that identifies them as belonging to God are not all of God's people. They are the righteous ones who have just seen in God's presence in heaven as I continue with this picture of the Great Tribulation, I will demonstrate that these bondservants are a remnant that God will select to serve with Yeshua in the Great Tribulation and the Millennial Kingdom that follows. By the way, Satan also has a seal to mark his followers with the number 666. Bullinger explains that 6 is the number representing mankind's enmity with God and mankind's coming short of the spiritual perfection signified by the number seven. So, there will be two opposing forces, one representing God that is composed of a righteous remnant and is led by Yeshua the Messiah, and the other serving Satan. These two armies are going to clash in a battle on the earth after God sends them down from heaven. But now let us return to the verse in Revelation chapter 7 which talks about those who have been sealed. Are you surprised to hear that there are two groups of people who have received the seal of God? 
I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. That's Revelation 7.4. The number is highly symbolic. It is not meant as a literal number of 144,000 people, but is the number 12 multiplied by the number 12. According to Bollinger, 12 represents the perfection of a ruling authority. We need only to think of the 12 commandments to understand this concept, and you will remember from Isaiah's prophecy that priests will reign or rule in the government of the Messiah in a future kingdom ruled by godly principles. I have repeatedly proposed, which I support in my book, The Remnant Part 1, that God will select a remnant from Israel, and his selection has nothing to do with believing in Jesus the Messiah. God will choose those whom he deems to be righteous and worthy of a leadership role. They are identified as a remnant, and I believe this is what we are seeing in Revelation with a metaphorical 144,000. This remnant of Israel will participate in the battle to defeat Satan during the Great Tribulation. Yeshua will be their commander-in-chief, which confirms that these Jews will have recognized Yeshua as the Messiah by that time. But what about the other group of people who have received the seal of God? We hear in Revelation, Behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne. There is not one key word in this verse, but four for emphasis, nation and tribes and peoples and tongues. These are the Gentiles. And I suggest that those who are sealed in this group are a remnant from Gentile believers in Christ. They will join the remnant of Israel to form God's army. Now it is time to present a picture of what will happen during the Great Tribulation. There are numerous events so we will take them one at a time. And don't forget, apocalyptic literature does not always present what happens in sequence. So we may be moving around in Revelation to view the events in the order of their happening. A war in heaven in the early part of the Great Tribulation. We now know that there will be righteous people in heaven who will be able to come into God's presence, which is what Christians call eternal life. Yeshua is also in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. There are angels in heaven, including the two archangels, Michael and Gabriel. We are now going to encounter Michael, who is depicted in Scripture as the leader of God's heavenly hosts, which is God's army. In Revelation 12, 7, we read, There was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon is Satan. So Satan is in heaven with his army, and Michael is leading the army of God that appears to be comprised of angels. Can you imagine this cataclysmic battle in heaven? Can you hear the thunderous noise and feel the cloud of dust that fills the entire sky? However, this battle in heaven will not be conclusive because we are told that the conflict in heaven will resume on the earth, but this time with Yeshua as the commander of God's army that is comprised of a remnant from Israel and Gentile believers in Christ. In Revelation 12, 9, we read, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, 
who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels, meaning the demonic angels that were serving Satan, were thrown down with him. The passage continues, but listen carefully to the mention of the brethren. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them, the brethren, before our God day and night. Before continuing with this passage, I want to stop and draw your attention to several important points. First, the brethren are the people we have just seen in heaven. They are the righteous ones because only in a condition without sin can they come into the presence of God. They are the overcomers who have all commendation and no rebuke. They are a remnant out of Israel and a remnant out of Gentile believers in Christ. They are the brethren. Second, the accuser is Satan, and he accuses the people of God continually day and night. These charges are justified because the human condition is prone to sin. Yet Satan's accusations against the brethren are now without merit because the brethren are in righteous spiritual bodies that are without sin. Now, I must stop again and remind you that this is apocalyptic literature, so events are not necessarily in sequential order. That is the case as we continue to explore the dramatic events of the Great Tribulation. Because the next verse in this same passage in Revelation chapter 12 conveys the end of the battle on earth. Although there is more that's going to happen before this final victory. So listen now to the final triumph of God's army that offers significant information about its participants. But after that, we will return to what happens before the final victory. In Revelation 12:11, the brethren overcame the dragon who is Satan because, number one, because of the blood of the lamb, and number two, because of the word of their testimony. And they, meaning the brethren, did not love their life even when faced with death. Whose testimony made it possible to overcome the dragon? We heard the word of their testimony. This is the testimony of the brethren, who are a remnant delegated with the responsibility of witnessing the righteousness of God by their words and actions. Their life is their testimony that others can see, and their commitment to work for God extends even unto death. Let's return now to the battle on the earth. Reading from Revelation chapter 9, verses 16 to 17, we learn the number of the armies of the horsemen, these are warriors of Satan, was 200 million. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates of fire. Red is the color of blood. And of hyacinth. This precious stone is purple and signifies royalty of a king, in this case, the false satanic king and of brimstone. That's black volcanic rock. Black represents death. The picture of the battle is now interrupted by a scene of two signs in the sky. One sign is a red dragon, which is huge in size, powerful and menacing. The dragon represents Satan, 
and it has seven heads and ten horns. The seven heads symbolize seven idolatrous kingdoms prophesied in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and they serve Satan by persecuting God's people. What are the ten horns? We must turn again to Daniel to learn that the ten horns represent ten kings fighting on behalf of Satan. The other sign, however, is the really important one. In Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2, we see the sign of a woman clothed with the sun. She is clothed with the brilliant righteousness of God. She has the moon under her feet. The moon represents the world that Satan currently rules, but his worldly powers will eventually be overthrown by the authority of God. What is especially important to this study is the condition of the woman clothed with the sun. She is about to give birth and is in the pains of childbirth that will produce new life. This new life will be holy and righteous and without the corrupting nature of sin. As this apocalyptic story continues, listen carefully for the remnant. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The word translated rest, meaning the remainder of those who are left, is the Greek word loipos that is used in the Septuagint translation for Hebrew words referring to a remnant. The dragon and his army are making war with the remnant of God's people those who have been born to a new life of righteousness because their mother who has birthed them is clothed in the righteousness of the Son. There is yet another suggestion in this very same verse that the ones who will overcome the dragon will be a remnant because they are described as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. These faithful ones describe a righteous remnant. Yeshua is going to be the commander of this army that will ultimately defeat Satan and his forces at the end of the Great Tribulation. The war now intensifies. We have a fearsome picture of Satan's army where Satan is depicted as a vicious dragon. Now we learn that two beasts emerge, one from the sea and one from the earth. Satan gives the beast from the sea his satanic power and throne and authority. That's in Revelation 13, verses 1 to 2. Do you remember Pharaoh's signet ring that gave Joseph, representing the Messiah, the power and authority of the Pharaoh who signifies God? Satan is mimicking God, who has given all his power and authority to his son Yeshua. The satanic beast from the sea is authorized to act on behalf of Satan, he is a political leader who will rule the earth. Then we hear a terrifying statement. The beast made war with the saints and overcame them. That's Revelation 13, verse 7. There is no mention here of Yeshua as their commander, which I think is significant. I draw your attention to the Gospel of John where we hear that Yeshua did not go to Jerusalem to celebrate Sukkot until the midst of the feast. I have discussed the prophetic symbolism of this event in my book, The Remnant, Part 4, The End Time Revealed in Israel's Annual Festivals. In the first half of Sukkot, those in God's army will have to fight without Yeshua. But in the midst of the feast, 
Yeshua will appear. Therefore, we can conclude that there's no need to worry. What we have just read about Satan's political leader overcoming the saints is not a final victory. The purpose of this near-satanic triumph is to make us tremble at the power and might of all that Satan is capable of doing to us and to our loved ones if we succumb to the ways of the world. Now, we turn our attention to the second beast from the earth, who is a false prophet, making everyone worship Satan's political leader. This is another copy of the true God, whose people worship God's Son. The false prophet also performs great signs, just like Yeshua's miracles. Furthermore, the false prophet requires the mark 666 on the right hand or forehead to signify submission to Satan's political ruler. Those who resist will be killed. What is God's response? To John, who is describing his apocalyptic vision in the book of Revelation. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. Revelation 14.1 You will remember that the 144,000 represents a righteous remnant that God has selected from Israel, and these righteous Jews will participate with a remnant of Gentile believers in a battle against Satan. So either 144,000 in this verse includes the Gentiles, which I doubt, or the next verse conveys the Gentile remnant in a figurative way. I lean toward the figurative nature of this next verse. I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Revelation 14, verse 2. What is the sound that water makes as it flows over a rocky stream bed? It gurgles. Now listen again to the murmuring tongues by the Gentile remnant. Behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues. Tongues refers to different languages. And if all the nations are babbling together, it would sound like, many waters. Therefore, I have concluded that the repetition of 144,000 in this verse again signifies a remnant from Israel, which has been joined by a remnant of Gentile believers in Christ. Of course, there is more figurative language in this one verse. The sound of loud thunder evokes the voice of God at Mount Sinai, which requires submission and obedience. The music played by the harpists is suggestive of musicians at the temple that calls God's people into his presence. In any case, Yeshua's army portrays the remnant. We read four things in this one verse. These are the ones who, number one, have not been defiled with women. That is, they have kept themselves chaste, meaning free from sin. Number two, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The Lamb, of course, is Yeshua, the Messiah. Number three, they are purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. We give ourselves as a gift of firstfruits to God. Number four, no lie is found in their mouth. 
That's in Revelation 18, verse 4. The vision of the remnant is reinforced again by the description of Yeshua's army, which is in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These soldiers of Satan will wage war against the Lamb, the Messiah, and the Lamb will overcome them because of two things. One, he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and two, those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. I have drawn your attention to three key words. Called means to be called by the name of God. Chosen is used for God's selection of a remnant. Faithful describes God's chosen remnant. So, the defeat of Satan is going to require both the Messiah and his remnant army. The next and last podcast in this series will address an enticing topic, the different resurrections, who, what, and when. If only a remnant will be resurrected to new life during the Great Tribulation and will then enter the Millennial Kingdom with the Messiah, then how and when will the rest of God's people be able to enter God's presence? Furthermore, how and when will God honor his promise to bless the Gentile nations, which I have found will occur at the end of time as prophesied by the annual festival of Sukkot. Join me in the next third podcast, and we will begin to explore the six resurrections and the answer to these questions.